welcome to the Irish Pagan School podcast. Your hosts are authors and co-founders of the Irish Pagan School here in County Waterford, Ireland, Laura O'Brien and John O'Sullivan. Falcha. Hello, this is Laura O'Brien at the Irish Pagan School YouTube channel, and I'm here today with the lovely Tara Tyne, our very own ditch witch, and we're going to talk about herbalism, foraging, ditch witchery, and just everything that uh, that Tara is bringing to the table. She's one of our teachers at the Irish Pagan School, so we will have a quick look at our classes at the end. But for now, Tara, can you explain to me the concept of ditch witchery? Like, what is it and how did you come up with it? This is something I'm always chipping away at because I do get asked it quite a bit and the answer is quite different every time. But I was talking to friends about it yesterday and I think the best way to describe what I feel to be the concept of the ditch witch is that I've always sort of had to live between worlds. Um, when I was, I mean, I, I was I was born in Canada in the absolute northernmost reaches uh, of Canada and uh, came back to Ireland when I was one, lived in this big Victorian pub in the centre of Dundalk Town and had no real nature around me to speak of at all. We had a concrete yard out the back and my mum used to make planters and plant lovely flowers into it. And that was OK. It was nice. Um, I lived next to a river, which was extremely polluted as well. But, you know, from way up high in my bedroom, I couldn't really see the pollution at the time. But it was always like it was within my reach, but not quite. It was just outside of what I could access as a child, really. Um, and then total culture shock when I was, I think I was about nine and we moved out to Inishkeen, County Monaghan. Well, I was actually on the County Loud side. I was just dropped into the middle of the countryside and I didn't know what to do with it. I never climbed trees. I never rolled around in the muck. I didn't know the names of most of what was growing around me. Uh, my father planted fruit trees. So, you know, took a bit of interest in that because there was there was tasty goods to be got from the trees. But I, I again, it was sort of, I was surrounded by it, but I didn't know how to to reach out and engage with it. And it was only after moving back to Dundalk again when I was about 17 that I started to really feel the lack of nature. I didn't I didn't really miss it until I didn't have it anymore. And um And we've lost Tara. <laughs> so Tara is coming to us from the wilds of Leitrim currently. So I'm hoping that she'll be able to pop back in. But if not, we will do a part two. <laughs> Tara, are you back with us? <laughs> You're literally coming to us from the ditch up in Leitrim currently. Literally. in Leitrim now these days. So uh, we need to talk to the government about the internet infrastructure out here. But in the meantime, this is what we've got. It's what we've got to work with, folks. But um, yeah, so I think it was really then as I got older, this longing to get back to nature, I really just I, I started to find the town more and more restrictive around me. And it was in my early 20s then I was lucky enough to go and live in Carlingford in County Louth. And I had the mountain and I had the lock. 
which actually it was it was coastal. It was um, it was actually the sea, but it was Carlingford Lock, mm-hmm. and it, you know it had its own little weather system. And I mean, the minute I landed in the village, I could feel the energy of the place, and I just wanted to run straight through it or to it. And so I, I went into the village and I looked for a way to get up the mountain because, you know, they hadn't got a load of signs for walking trails, or at least it wasn't obvious to me where exactly you were meant to go. And uh, I actually just started at one point crawling through ditches. I got up a certain point and I went, this isn't going to stop me. I don't see gates. I don't see paths. I don't see any easy way through here, but I am going up that mountain. <laughs> it kills me. Um, so I got a little bit acquainted with, you know, how to get up the mountain. And um, yeah, I think it was probably St. Patrick's Day that same year. Um, I had planned to maybe go to Crowpatrick and see what the whole thing was about. But having recently moved house, that wasn't going to work. out. So I said, well, sure, I'll make my pilgrimage up the mountain instead and see what I'll, Paddy has to say to me. Uh, say for himself really so uh, I started out all cocky you know uh, completely inadequately dressed for a hike up quite a steep mountainside and um, I got to the saddle of the mountain and I should have been happy with that but I wasn't I wanted to get to the very peak and so I started practically bouldering up lumps of rock to get up to this place and I found myself in a really soppy sharp I mean I was bare by that stage because my little crappy fake leather pennies boots weren't <laughs> uh taking me very far. these were hung around my neck and I'm stood like shin deep in uh in shuck water essentially at the very top of this mountain and the heather was scratching my feet and you know old bits and pieces of gorse and ferns and it, it was just this really wild place and I realized very quickly I didn't know how to get back down again. The way I had come up wasn't exactly going to be conducive to going back down. So I had to find a different way down. I ended up climbing down the mountain in a stream because I thought, well, this stream definitely goes back to the, you know, the main one that feeds into Carling. So I'm in it and there's all these pointy rocks. I'm probably bleeding at this stage. I definitely had had at least one cry by that point as well. <laughs> and by the time I managed to get out of the river and get back to what something I recognised, which was the forest, then again, I'm nearly on my bum sliding down. And the mountain completely kicked my ass. And I feel like I went up the mountain that day, uh, very naive, hippie type girl from Dundalk town and I came down that mountain a ditch witch I've been crawling through ditches ever since and also I I feel it's it's particularly apt because um I'm massive into foraging too and I suppose maybe that was something that came from living in the country where if you found damsons or you found gooseberries that was that was a big treat and everyone you'd tell everyone about that you know mm. So um, with the foraging as well, then, I mean, all the best stuff grows in ditches and, you know, other foragers out there might disagree with me. But uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's where I go to get happy. And um, yeah, obviously, then I started discovering as I have done with the, the YouTube thing and, you know, started doing more and more research. 
I discovered what liminal and magical places the ditches were considered to be, even within Irish culture. I knew hedge witchery had been a thing, and um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel particularly drawn to the, the the kinds of people who were using that term at the time. We're talking now, probably, what is this, fifteen years ago? Yeah. So. Uh, I really felt that sort of, you know, coming from Ireland, uh, I don't, I, Ditch Witch just felt a lot more appropriate. And then I started discovering that the, the ditches between parishes were a great place to go if you wanted to cast a curse on somebody or mm-hmm. if you wanted to remove a curse from somebody. Mm-hmm. And there, were, um, there were actually Pisho doctors who would work uh, with these ditches. And sometimes then if you got a double ditch, on the border of a parish that was even more powerful again. So I wasn't the only one that sort of felt that there were these places. And I thought, yeah, I found my people, the people <laughs> who would climb into a ditch to put a curse on somebody. I, I can get down with those people for sure. Absolutely. So I suppose that's really helpful, Laura. Mm-hmm. And it's still evolving every single day. Um, I develop more more of a relationship with this title I've built for myself, um, you know, and which as well, I suppose I'm very much into the going around and, and picking up the what we consider today to be the spooky elements of Irish folklore and the magical elements of mythology. And um, these are all just things I'm naturally drawn to. So the, the title which suits me fine, because I think that's, that's a proper note of caution to give to anybody before they deal with me. Mm-hmm. They know what they're getting themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope that answered that. Absolutely, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. And I didn't even know that about you, like your background there. I didn't even know you were born in Canada or any of that. So um, so that's I'm delighted. Your channel, Laura. OK, I have said that to the end. There you go. Brilliant. Which I exclusive. <laughs> so, um. So like, what does your kind of your daily practice look like? You know, do you have anything specifically that you do on like certain days? Do you work with the moon cycles? Do you work with the seasons? Like, you know, what what does your actual practice look like? Or is it very spontaneous? Hello, this is Laura Ryan, and I want to make sure that you get access to our free gift for you, which is the Roots and Reverence Ancestral Connection Toolkit. So this is a five-day guided exploration, which will be delivered to you free over email series. And it's as enlightening as it is grounding. It's designed for anyone who feels a kinship with Irish paganism, whether you carry Ireland in your blood, your heart, or the soul memories of lifetime past. There is no cost, only the promise of authentic connection to Ireland, as ever from us. So go to irishpagan.school forward slash roots, that's R-O-O-T-S, to get your Ancestral Connection Toolkit. And again, it's all free, delivered free over five days. There's resources, there's exercises, there's connection, there's all sorts of cool stuff. So I hope you enjoy that. It is our free gift to you for being a valued podcast member. So back to the episode. It's extremely spontaneous. And the thing that I am most committed to is watching 
nature itself like nature is my god essentially and mm-hmm. um, the turn of the seasons I like to know if it's turning earlier this year than it did last year Um, you know I, I like to know how the wildlife is around, around me is getting on and so I'll take a visit to the frog pond I will uh, you know spend an hour looking up a new species of plant that I I haven't had previous experience with Um, it's getting to know the place I live like the back of my hand Mm. and that's my practice for for all of that to be known by somebody you know, I um, I feel I consider myself privileged to be the one who knows these things. Uh, my neighbor Paddy here, Paddy's in his seventies, you know, and he's sometimes he's telling me things about um, you know, what they thought of some of these species when they were when they were kids. Did they play games? Did they? Uh, value them were things ever picked and eaten and then I'd be telling him things mm. and he can't get over you know like there's a profusion of wild native wild uh, orchids growing down the lane here and to me that was it was a it was like a divine experience finding them mm. and finding that out and able to tell Paddy and he's starting to see the magic in the environment I'm living in mm. whereas maybe that had you know been lost for him before so it's not that I'm trying to convert Paddy here or anything like that <laughs> but to me I suppose what I'm doing is I'm finding the magic in the environment around me um, and I'm constantly learning how to be in better relationship with the environment around me um, and I suppose that is mainly what I do. You know, obviously now sound's coming up at the time of recording and uh, I love a bit of sound now, I have to say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Halloween was my, my favourite holiday growing up. And, you know, I, I some years I'll do bath and I usually always do uh, in bulk. I'll do something for that because I have worked with Bridget uh, quite a bit over the years. But um, as far as my relationship with the gods goes um I suppose I haven't felt the need to dedicate myself to anybody like mm-hmm. me and Bridget had that thing on for a long time I I made offerings and I felt like sometimes she was just there to listen she was there to bless my hearth fire and in the end you know I believe that after many many years of probably doing a kind of a half-assed half, half job <laughs> of working with her that she did, um, you know, help me to sort of uh, rebuild my life in a way that's healthier for me. Yeah. But um, still and all, never really felt the need to dedicate because, uh, and I, I, I really should stop mentioning fictional characters when I'm talking about these things, but it's a bit like Granny Weatherwax's take for any of the Pratchett fans out there is that, you know, you you don't have to go around believing in God. So it'd be like believing in the postman. Yeah. Uh, they just are. Really the encouragement, you know, they're there. <laughs> very vibrant, very alive and absolutely very real to me. It's just I've sort of made that decision that if you must cross paths with them, be respectful, do your best. But otherwise, don't go looking. <laughs> That's just my personal <laughs> Uh, I suppose from from the path that I've I've walked, you know, I've I tried a lot of things over the years, and I suppose I got myself in trouble too, and it's less trouble I'm looking for now, uh, mm. and it, it's mm. kind of an easier, quieter 
uh, life at least for now that could all change in the absolutely future. absolutely and like you don't have to be dedicated to any gods to practice Irish paganism or you know witchcraft or Irish witchcraft or anything like that um very much the opposite I would say you know witchcraft particularly is very um yeah. neutral with regards to the religious side of things yes. yeah Yes, so. it's kind of just me going about and doing me things, you know, where I need, where I see the need for something to be done. um, you know, I'll put my time into it. I'll put my intention into it and put all my best efforts into it. And sometimes that involves, you know, petitioning a God or some other mm. big energy like that. But uh, sometimes it doesn't, you know, mm. sometimes it's just lighting a candle for somebody. Yeah. I do quite a lot of that. Yeah. Um, because that that's that sort of um, that's that rootsy kind of magic that I really am into is like people make and do with what they have. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And like the other side of it is true as well. You can just as easily practice while being dedicated to a God and, you know, nobody like it's just such a personal thing, I think, you know, and, yeah. and these traditions yeah. that we have. And the energies that we work with, like, as you say, they're just there. You don't have to go believing in them. We can, you know, we can, we can, we can tap in if we want to, but we don't have to. And honestly, like, if if I could get away without being God bothered, I'd, it sounds like an awful peaceful life. Tara. I've had, it's not bad over here in the world. I wouldn't know how to extract you now, but if ever you need Tips on how it goes over this side. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like if you can get away, if you can get away with it, like definitely, definitely choose that. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just from where we're sitting. Um. And not definitely that right. I don't. Yeah. I like I don't. I don't mean to say like that. You know that it's easier what you do or whatever. It's just it's it's another level of complication when you're dealing with gods. Like, and if you don't have to, don't. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I saw somebody asking there recently about, oh, well, my altar had to be taken down and I can't put it back up. And I went, oh, God, it's like the, the memories at the time when when I was going through all of that and how difficult it was mm. um, not having that space. So, you know, even grounding yourself enough to to do that kind of work can mm. be difficult when you're being constantly pushed from pillar to post. And sometimes that's part of it. Yeah. And that's part of a person's journey. But um, yeah, I suppose that that was definitely an issue for me a lot over the years as well, is that the gods of the place I was living in changed mm. so regularly. The energies that that guarded and guided the places where I was, it was nearly constantly different. Mm. Uh, so I try to be dynamic. I try to be open minded. I love kind of I've really gotten into following the academia end of things now because you know so many people have written about these things who they're not um there's a lot of people out there who don't talk about practicing at all but they seem to have such a passion for getting to know the gods mm. and find that really inspiring too that you know just because you're not necessarily dedicating yourself to gods it doesn't mean you can't actually still get to know them even mm. yeah intimately and Absolutely. you know contribute great um work to uh, other people getting to know them as well mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and feeding the traditions you know the way they're um 
like we're up against a lot. You know, you're talking about you're mentioning like, you know, seeing things in groups. I know exactly where that was coming from. <laughs> um, I saw the same post, you know, in a group and like there's a lot of people who are, you know, coming into those kind of spaces and which are well, the ones that we're in anyway. Um, I know you're in a lot more now than me, um, wider kind of circles. But the ones that we run and the ones that I'm in are very very focused on the Irish stuff, like exclusively, you know, and you get a lot of like noise from outside, you know. So when people are doing the academic research, studying whether they're pagan or not, like it doesn't, it's irrelevant, you know, whether they're dedicated to gods or not. Most of them, I would say, are not, to be perfectly honest. Um, But they're still contributing, you know, they're still in what I would call a kind of a right relationship with the the gods, guides and guardians of Ireland and the traditions and the culture and, you know, because they're giving back to us. And I think that's what you're picking up on, like, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's wonderful. It's actually, it's a great time to be alive in mm. Ireland. Or, <laughs> you know, even just learning about Ireland, that there's so much going on and so much being brought into, you know, up to the surface and into mm. the light for us to learn about. Yeah. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, because it all had to go underground, didn't it? And it all had to kind of take on, you know, put on different cloaks and be different things. And that's okay too, because it's part of this living tradition, you know, and like you're talking about St. Patrick and Crow Patrick and, you know, like while that's a very famous Christian pilgrimage, I think you really kind of tapped into it where it's based on much older traditions, you know, like say around Lunasa, like, or the, you know, Bilbury Sunday, like climbing a mountain, was yes. the thing to do, you know, and and it it became the Croke Patrick thing and it became the St. Patrick pilgrimage and all the rest of it. But those traditions were going on a hell of a lot longer than Christianity has been in Ireland, you know. So it's all very interesting, really, yeah, to tap yeah. into. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's yeah. no end of it as well. Exactly. And lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Bottom of what's going on here. Exactly. And I really feel like a lot of this stuff and, you know, you really put your finger on it there. Like it's all kind of what a time to be alive, like because as kind of contemporary pagans or just people who are interested in the native spiritual side of things, you know, the pre-Christian side of things, whether that's an academic interest or a personal interest is irrelevant almost. But what we're seeing now is like it's kind of coming. It's it's working in cycles, you know, like when. Catholicism was the dominant force, um, you know, when when the Catholic Church had colonized our, our island, as we've discussed <laughs> many a time, um, you know, and that was yes. the dominant power. Um, you couldn't talk about paganism. You couldn't talk about, um, you know, anything pre-Christian because you were being, you know, shamed at the very best. But now yes. there's you know, it's much more open and things can kind of reset a little bit back to not having to wear those cloaks if they don't want to, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, there was so much riding on the Catholic Church and their inbuilt system of very subjective morals when the Irish state was founded, Um that the Catholic Church was sort of used as a way to help Ireland look more morally pure than Britain. You know, mm. we are we are better. We're as good mm. as, if not even better than our former colonizers. Mm. And so they kind of let the, 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 the church run wild. And 
there's still a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. in trying to untangle that to a certain extent you can kind of I would find myself still embracing aspects of the the mythology and the archetypes around Christianity because um you know I feel safe to do that now that I formally defected from the Catholic Church mm-hmm. um so those were energies that I was you know I was raised with and I wouldn't just throw kind of yeah. water as far as is concerned but you know what I what I love then is the the early Christianity in Ireland that before this time when the church was used as the great big tool for sweeping it under the rug um that actually it was quite a a much more I think I think from looking at it beautiful and organic and artistically focused mm. practice um so there's quite a lot in that there too and I find myself being very drawn towards especially like insular Celtic art and mm. um everything that goes into that and I loved learning about it in school even where they source those colors from and mm. I suppose that's all come back right now that I'm interested in things like plant dyes and mm. um inks and all of that but it's a tower you know that so you as you say Laura it goes in cycles that you'd mm. nearly run the risk of just going you know, anything got to do with you know any era of Christianity in this country is is wrong and horrible and you shouldn't be thinking about it but actually what I love about um the, the culture in this country is that it is so all-embracing that you mm. can draw from that and you know nobody's gonna castigate you for throwing away what didn't suit you and didn't serve exactly. you so yeah yeah so I, I just can't leave Christianity go without going on some kind of rant <laughs> Well, you and I have have had this talk certainly before where it's not it's not Christianity that we actually have the problem with at all. It's beautiful. It's it's a mystical religion, you know, and spirit as a spiritual practice. It's it has a lot going for it. But it's it is specifically the the, you know, the the criminal cult organization that is the Catholic Church here in Ireland that that I would have a problem with. And I think you're very much of the same on the same page. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's at the forefront of my mind because I have to say there is an element now going around and starting to ruin it for everybody. Like St. Bridget's Shrine there up at Fahert, uh, at Bridget's birthplace in Fahert and County Louth. Um, it's generally accepted that that was a much older pagan shrine before the Catholic Church came along and uh, put their stamp all over the place. And now, pagan ceremonies that are taking place now granted I know some of these ceremonies that were happening were drawing on cultures from outside of Ireland so that's that's another matter it's neither here nor there there are Christian fundamentalist groups I've seen very disturbing video, videos on uh, YouTube from the groups that are going there specifically to interrupt and disrupt uh, events like that from happening mm. and I don't think Fahard is the only place it's been happening mm. so there are fundamentalist right-wing Christians out there mobilising and actually starting to really come out of their shell again Mm. and uh, make themselves known. And so I would just, for anybody who is kind of into that, just please be wary of that. um, Absolutely. Also, try not to fall down those rabbit holes either. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's such a huge crossover with, you know, I think Ireland really became a focus for that kind of right wing fundamentalism. Now, 
we always had that element in the north of Ireland, particularly, um, that has been very much a part of the Christian uh, landscape, I think, in Ireland. You know, the north of Ireland is still colonised and, you know, there's it has all of its own set of issues up there and you know and it's not something that we can just kind of write off in any way you know us us and the rest of the island um and very much my spiritual practice is an all island one you know um i talk about the island specifically because it's not ireland it's it's my island you know um and energetically i'm trying to like make make that um make that my reality but um but yeah this this i think when when we started to break this kind of stranglehold that the catholic church and we came to the notice that well pure dear catholic ireland the homeland for many of these kind of global um christian right wing fundamentalist groups um like we you know we we do represent this kind of purity, this homeland, this this let's you know let's let's call it what it is. This white, pr- prominently white, um, you know, prominently Catholic, um, some kind of fantasy that they have, you know, and it's like it's like the way um, the diaspora sometimes have this, you know, very, very strange idea of what, you know, what what Irish life and Irish culture are like dancing at the crossroads in the Aaron Jumpers and Gosh and yeah. Begara and Top of the Morning to you and all that nonsense, like, yeah. which is is nothing to do with us. It's like that on steroids, you know, it's it's like yeah. they have this, you know, this there's a certain branch of these Christian fundamentalists who have decided that we're some kind of pure homeland who needs to be defended. And unfortunately, that is taking root here. They have been making, as you know, concerted efforts over the last couple of decades to start groups and to agitate here and to spread their their vileness. Um, And unfortunately, it is taking hold with a certain element within Irish society. So um, and not, you know, from America, from England, from from Europe. Um, it's all it's all here. Like we're not we're not able to be uh, to be free of any of that. So I think your your warning and your caution for you know blending your Christianity is is very well timed, Tara. To be honest, because you know there's more battles coming. I think. <laughs> um, well, when it came up, it had to be mentioned. You know, like I I've had I'll post a video about you know, maybe native species or native traditions around the likes of seven. Mm. And to us today, you know, it sounds a bit spooky. It's very interesting. Great bit of crack. But I've had people quoting Bible verse at me and telling me I should be born to death mm. yeah. for, talk. yeah. for talking about things that were done on this island a hundred years ago. Mm. You know, we're not even talking way back mm. in the, mm. <laughs> the pre- Mists of time. We're talking a hundred years ago. We're talking these people who are posting on my on my videos. We're talking their parents and grandparents. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like, I definitely think yeah, it, it's not it's not organic, as you say, Laura. There's a lot of that. I think coming from outside, it seems to mirror a little bit the attitude of a certain um, 
sector of you know like the evangelism you get in the likes of say the USA and mm. um, I definitely also think the Catholic Church is maybe clambering at the minute to try and absolutely yeah yeah as much as they yeah. can yeah and this this is not a conspiracy theory by any means like this has actually been proven you know when we were doing the the repeal the eighth referendum to make um health services legal for for people with wombs here in Ireland um, it was that that's the reason that Facebook had to um change their whole advertising policy because there was money being poured in to Ireland from American and English groups and across Europe, I believe, but mostly the American groups. And they were these evangelical fundamentalists, you know. So we're not just we're not just imagining this, you know, like no, this is this has been proven, you know, it has been rooted out. Um but I think a lot of people just don't realise the effect it's having. And unfortunately, there is an element within Irish society who, you know, are racist and are homophobic and are transphobic and are misogynistic. And they're lapping it up, you know, and it's it's becoming nativized in some corners. And that's what we're against, Tara. <laughs> and that's what yeah. we fight against, yeah. you know. So I suppose now coming back from that a little bit. It's all part of it, you know, like we would get we would get comments. So and you've seen them yourself, you know, in groups and on our Facebook and everything of people like oh, I came here for witchcraft or I came here for paganism and I don't want politics like you can't you can't be interested in anything Irish and not be interested in the politics or not at least put up and shut up with Irish people talking about politics and yeah. social issues um, because we are we're very well informed. We're very aware of what's going on and we are not afraid to talk about it ever. So. Yeah. And also there is I can't there isn't a single sector of Irish society I could point to and say there's no politics involved no, in that. No, Everything no, is no. political, you know, and mm-hmm. I suppose for people who are feeling that where they, they don't want politics is to maybe look at exactly why. But you know, I, I've been at at points where I don't want to know anything about politics. And now I do avoid trying to learn anything about politicians at the minute mm. because <laughs> them to be frustrating but my 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 studies into politics and law have gone in a different direction because of it mm. I had faced before I could kind of get to that point of of just being like right okay I've made some kind of peace with the, the state of things you have to face how bad things are so mm. for the people who who want to turn away from politics and don't want that to be involved in particularly their Irish pagan practice I would maybe use that as an opportunity to go inwards and look at why. Mm. Is it because, you know, the politics where you're living are so bad that it's painful for you to look at? Maybe some of the, you know, the service, because service is a big part of most pagan practice, uh, whether it's to God, whether it's to the land you're living on, whether it's to community in some form or another, maybe there's something you could do on that front. You know, um, maybe it's only something small like writing a letter, but um, I think completely closing yourself off to that too is maybe just a bit of a missed opportunity. I wouldn't want to judge people too harshly for that because I know what it's like to get completely burnt out from hearing, you know, successive governments coming in and it seems like nothing ever gets any better, despite what they say. There don't seem to be any real better options. And then the independents who go in, um, you know, they get completely steamrolled over uh, and a lot of them get burnt out and 
you know as a single person going in there you're pretty ineffectual anyway so um yeah maybe rather than you know I I don't want to say oh everybody should be thinking about politics but maybe just have a, th- a little think about why you dedicate yeah. half an hour to go absolutely and, absolutely and, and why why people like us who are so involved in Irish paganism and in you know Irish witchcraft and all of the aspects that are involved there like why we are so adamant that we have to talk about social issues and we have to talk about the politics because it's so integral to what we believe what we practice what our reality is as part of this living tradition you know so even if you don't want to get involved personally Tara you're very gracious <laughs> you're very patient <laughs> and uh, but you're yeah, but right. like, you know maybe People might like to go the same way that I'm starting to go now, which is looking into Brehan Law, okay? Mm. Because, and that that's, I mean, it's environmentalism, I suppose, is really drawing me in at the minute, where I think we can all agree that destroying the environment we live in is not a good idea. Whether you're a political person or not, mm. I'm sure you can see the logic in kind of going, if we just deplete everything, we're all going to die. And that's how that goes. But, you know, and all the campaigns about Save the Bees, that's cute and it's nice but under Brehan law that was it was law Mm. (laughs) it was extremely important and I haven't gone into the entire you know tract of a beekeeping laws that we had a thousand years ago under Brehan laws but they're there and Mm -hmm. I'm making my way around to them um you know care of the land is something that was that was exclusively expressly set out in Irish law going back into medieval times and you know for as long as there have been laws in Ireland um so you know for anybody who feels frustrated that uh some of the campaigns you might see going on and some of the I suppose the greenwash and we refer to it now that's going on and getting frustrated that it's getting us nowhere Look back to how things were done before. Mm. You know, there, there are answers there to be found. There's immense wisdom. Um, and even just for getting on with your community and how to look after your community. Mm. Um, and, you know, in turn, ensuring that you yourself are also looked after mm. as a member of that community. So politics isn't just what happens in your government buildings, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once a year. And, uh, yeah. you know, and that's why I would always call it like, you know, it's it's social and political, you know, it's it's cultural. It's part of the fabric of our society, you know, and yes, politics is part of that, but it's the politics of communities as much as the politics of the land, you know, and, and the, the current legal system, which did replace our brown law system <laughs> to our detriment, yeah, and, feel, you know. And it folded off the British parliamentary system. Mm. So there's a whole other conversation to be had about trying to enforce a system of law on a nation whose soul won't necessarily accept it. Do you mm. know, it's like mm. to me, you know, the Irish system of laws, and I'll probably get threatened with treason again for saying <laughs> things like this, but it's like, it's like when you, you do a kidney transplant. Sometimes it works and sometimes the body rejects it. Well, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think rejecting it. And you know, if you if you think I'm sort of uh, misguided with that, think about when's the last time somebody Irish, you know, just casually, casually broke the law. You know, mm-hmm. laws are kind of arbitrary, especially in certain parts of Ireland. Um <laughs> yeah. at least that's how they're viewed. So, do you know, yeah. I mean you've got to 
problems with oh the, the jails are full and we can't afford more and all of this well actually if you go back and look whether or not the way things are being done actually suits us as a nation you might get some of the answers and possibly solutions as well exactly so. exactly and while you know that might kind of raise red flags for people you know if you're hearing something like the laws are you know we we can pick and choose or whatever um as part of our rural irish culture please don't mishear us because our social contracts and our community standards and how we take care of each other in our communities are very strict and very ethical so it's not like lawlessness yeah. as such it's just not those laws <laughs> Do you know, like people take yeah. care of each other and if something needs doing, if something needs enforcing, it just it happens, you know, and part of that is your, um, do you know, your your uh, the honour system, I think, in especially in smaller communities like the honour system still has a big part to play, you know, because you wouldn't be able to show your face like and your ma, your ma <laughs> would be horrified if you did anything. That's it. And everyone would have her towels anyway. Exactly. You know? And your father wouldn't be able to show his face. Yes. Yeah. You know, so like the social contract and the social legislations, let's call them, are still very strong. And they would be much more in line with the Brehan law system, I feel, you know, than than the actual law of the land, you know. You can still feel traces of how things were done back mm. in those times mm. in rural life. Yeah. Very yeah. much. I know there's a massive exodus of people moving from urban areas to rural areas at the yeah. minute. Yeah. So, you know, it might take a little while to to maybe get that back up to where it should be mm. or where it used to be. But certainly the Celtic Tiger, you know, communities didn't necessarily come together more when everybody had money. But I mm. think during COVID actually in a way, there was a bit of a silver lining on that front because people had to look out for each other. Mm. You know, people going yeah. to get get some groceries for each other and things like that. And that's, you know, that's the kind of, um, to me, that's one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. If, you're living, yeah. if you're living in the countryside, if you're living somewhere remote, um, you know, to, your practice can just be knowing that your neighbour is okay, knowing who they are mm-hmm. and knowing they're okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look out for them when when they need it and they do the same for you. And that's just the way it works. Yeah. Yep. And like living in the country, Tara, like having moved out to, as we've mentioned, the wilds of Leitrim, like you have you have a lot around you, you know, and the reason that now you had your your own YouTube channel, it's um, Diary of a Ditch Witch for anybody who's not familiar. We have mentioned, obviously, Ditch Witchery. We link all Tara stuff below. Um, so make sure you do check out the channel and all of that as well. But um, but we asked Tara in like with the Irish Pagan School as a platform, we we never wanted it to be. And I know we say it all the time, but like we it was started with the intention of becoming a, a platform for native Irish voices, you know, and all of our teachers have something very different to offer. I think everybody is coming from quite different um, situations and experiences and, you know, education and all the rest of it. And it's just it's just turning into such a fascinating slice. And, you know, one of the things we had identified was we don't really have anybody doing herbalism. We had one one conference talk. I think Anne Bleakley did a did a talk, but it wasn't even herbalism. It was more um, folk cures and practices and stuff, you know. 
Um, I've done a little bit with the Irish magic stuff. Um, but but yeah, so you were the obvious choice, Tara. And like your herbalism, like how does that work? Are you like, is it is it ditch witchery? Are you formally trained? We'll we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more in in a different video, I think, because there's a lot to get into. And I know we're, we've been here a while yet. But um, but just like what were your early influences and experiences and kind of what, you know, what challenges have you faced with incorporating a herbalism practice or herbalism um, teaching or learning, I suppose, into the ditch witchery stuff? Earliest influences, I'll start there, mm. is picking blackberries mm. and then mommy making jam out of it. And it was just so delicious. It was such a treat. It was like, I can't believe my mom made that. So mm. I, I grew up with that in me is that, you know, you can make things from the food around you. And then as I progressed, and of course, I am a child of austerity in Ireland. So just as I was starting to come into adulthood, um, you know, that whole economic situation went completely tits up. And uh, I was broke. I was mm. broke quite a lot of the time and there were times when it was literally a choice between cat litter and dinner mm. so I have to get the cat litter <laughs> to get dinner and uh, I have to say actually I lived in Galway for a while and I think what really got me into regular foraging um, I was living right in Galway city centre but I found a good spot on the Calada where I used to go down and pick mussels mm. And I felt like a queen going mm. to eat a dinner of mussels mm. in the evening time, which if I went to a local restaurant to buy them, I couldn't afford. Mm. So um, I think that was really it, is that I'm aware that there are a lot of other people out there who uh, also has to live with little to no money. Um, so I suppose even from an, from an early stage, I was trying to not just learn for myself, but share the information mm. with other people. Mm. Um, of course, you have to be careful doing that, too, because foraging can be a dicey business if yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. But, uh, and I suppose that's really one of the major obstacles. And although I'm not running foraging, you know, tours or anything like that just yet. I mean, maybe when I get to know my environment here a little bit better, I might feel confident doing that with people. But is that there act there's actually not um in the areas I've lived in, at least anyway, there wasn't much access to learning about that mm. kind of thing. Like mm. I would always say to people, the best way is to learn in person. Mm. If you can take somebody local out with you who knows what they're doing um, and they can show you exactly where to pick it. And, you know, you really get to intimately know the species that you're working with then mm. at that stage. So there's not an awful lot of that. And um, I'd also, I sort of went, I'm self-taught when it comes to that. Um, I have no formal training and, uh, you know, I don't claim to even be able to cure people's ailments myself. Mm herbalism mm. uh, I'm one of these people who you know when I'm stuck I'll give it a go mm. uh, you know and it's a lot of the time it's just simple little folk remedies like a uh, Dave stood on a nail there a rusty nail recently now he'd had a recent tetanus shot so that was good but um it, it really wasn't we weren't able to be going to the GP we'd have to wait weeks for an appointment mm. with a GP in rural Ireland so it was a matter of us keeping it clean and it's really just soaking it in salt every day and things like that. So I would have done a lot of that. And then as I 
started becoming more aware of you know environmental depletion as well I started to branch out and you know making like natural homemade uh cleaning products and things mm. like that just trying mm. to live the life as much as I possibly could now at the risk of you know sounding like a complete hypocrite when I was sort of forced due to my housing situation to move back into the center of Dundalk town mm. all of that went out the window mm. uh, workload increased massively uh, my ability to socialize as well was increased so I, I made a point of doing more of that and so I was back to, you know, same old terrible buying and was poor some of the time too. So back to buying cleaning products in pound shops. And mm. I don't want anyone getting the impression that I'm, you know, Mrs. 100% sustainable. I believe that people who want to do it, you know, doing the best that you can with what you've got mm. is all anybody can expect from you. Um, yeah. Finding the things that you can do that um so I mean I would bring that a lot into my foraging when I'm going out now I mostly do it now for pleasure I haven't gotten back into trying to do it for medicine for myself yet but I I'm I have a few friends at the minute now making tinctures and things like that so I might give all that a go um I find that I'm I'm getting tips from you know that what I have learned about herbalism I've gotten from people who were in other countries mm. And they weren't necessarily reminding you of things like you're, you know, you're only meant to take 10 to 20 percent of what's there. Mm. I think that's something that is, you know, probably especially important mm-hmm. in Ireland, as we were talking about, Laura, the place where in the Breton laws they've explicitly outlined these kinds of guidelines, mm-hmm. which you find for not following and sometimes quite heavily find mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it's the fact that maybe we're such a small island or we've so many delicate ecosystems here or whatever it is. But um, these were things that I kind of had to learn as I was mm. going along here too. Mm. And um, It was a long time before I found Facebook groups where there were Irish people going out and foraging and mm. I could listen to their stories and their experiences and their tips on how to go out and be yeah. the best farmer you can be because you can learn quite a lot from books that don't come from the country that you're you're working yeah. with um there's always so much more to learn specifically absolutely and absolutely it's not even just the environment and the species growing there but it's how to approach that you know like people might go out and cut a vase full of the little orchids just because they look really nice but if you discover how rare those actually are in some parts of Ireland you might think twice about doing that whereas in other countries maybe it's not that big a deal you know Mm. yeah yeah no definitely and you know that is definitely what attracted us to you because we're not a herbal school you know we're not a medicinal school we're we're interested in those living traditions and that's exactly what you're describing here you know is is your lived experience as an Irish person and obviously if people can come here and you know go on a foraging tour with Tara Tyne the ditch witch um, whenever they whenever they appear as an option and we would absolutely encourage people to do that but of course like that's not always going to be an option for people so what we're trying to do in the Irish Pagan School is give people that slice or that connection, you know, that slice of life of actually what it's like to be, you know, trying to live in balance with the Irish environment, with the Irish culture, with the Irish traditions, with the magic, with the energy, with the gods when they pay attention to us, <laughs> we can't avoid yeah. it, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
But yes, yeah, so I'm going to just share the screen here very briefly, Tara, and um, change over there. So when people show up with the Irish Pagan School, um, you go to irishpaganschool.com. Now, this is all linked below, but we have the homepage here and some featured courses. But if people just click here on all courses, they can actually go directly to your courses and you know, currently you have two with us. You can click to author and then just go down to Tara Tyne there. And you have two courses with us here at the moment. We have Herb Magic in Ireland, an introduction and Herb Magic at Samhain. And again, you know, Herb Magic rather than Herbalism, like because we're looking at the magical, mythical, historical and practical use of herbs um, generally in the Irish tradition, which are first class that you ran there, the introduction, and then specific to Samhain, you know, where um, there, there's so much that, again, is part of these living traditions that's so important when we're talking about the native um, flora of Ireland, you know. So, um, so I do encourage people to have a look at the classes and definitely take them if they're of interest to you. Um, they're there. They're available all the time um, on, you know, on demand download. And we will be running, I hope, more live classes with you, Tara. So um, if people want to get on the mailing list, um, there's loads of free resources and everything down below. And then if you sign up for any of them, they'll they'll put you on the mailing list as well. You get some cool stuff and you get uh, informed when Tara's running a new class. So. <laughs> So, um, so thank you so much, Tara, for um, for taking the time to to lay all that out with us today. Your journey is absolutely fascinating, and uh, for having me, yeah, yeah, no, and we'll have to do a part two, I think, and uh, make sure that we. um, If anybody has any questions, actually, you can put them below in the comments there, or just say hello to Tara in the comments, and definitely go and check out her her channel as well, which is Diary of a Ditch Witch. Okay, thanks a million, Tara. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review in your podcast listener. Then head over to irishpaganschool.com and enroll in one of our free or paid courses. Slonga full and we will see you next time.